0: All right, Genesis 41 is where we're at this evening as we continue uh, the story of Joseph. Uh, we find him again in prison after several years, and tonight we finally get to read the story of how he gets out of prison and how the Lord uses that not only in his life but in the whole nation of Egypt. This is a, this is a story about God's purpose for the nations tonight, and I'm excited to read it with you. It is very long, uh, chapter 41, so I have edited it slightly uh, in the bulletin, so follow along in the bulletin if you would. Um, I'm going to read the beginning and the ending and kind of skip some things in the middle in the reading, not because it's not important and not because I'm not going to talk about it, but just because I want to make the the reading a little bit more manageable for us before we get going. So this is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pay attention to it together. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep, and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh." Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about." I was uh, restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt.' Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, "'Bow the knee!' Thus he set him over the whole land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'I am Pharaoh, and without your consent "'no one shall lift up hand or foot "'in all the land of Egypt.' And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until it ceased, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands. And in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So, he, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Joseph, to Egypt, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. God's word. Uh, does anybody in here uh, frequent reader or watcher of the news? Any news watchers in here? Yeah, some of us do. Some decide not to do so because of the blood pressure that it causes from time to time. Uh, but anybody who is a frequenter of the news will probably agree with this statement. Uh, the world needs help. Everybody agree with that? Even if you're not a, a watcher of the news, you agree with this. Uh, now, I know that the news tends to focus only on the negative things because that's what keeps everything sold and keeps you paying attention. And, and in reality, more good things happen than they let on. However, also more bad things happen than they report about too. Uh, there, there are things in people's private lives that will never make the headlines, and yet they are tragic and terrible. And uh, even though the news won't report on them, it still makes you say, we need help. Well, believe it or not, this story is not just about how Joseph gets delivered from his affliction. Because remember, Joseph is God's man. He's not just a man. He's God's anointed, chosen servant for this time and place. And also for future generations. In that sense, Joseph is what we call a type of Christ. Have you ever heard of that? Type, meaning he is a precursor, a uh, foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so in that way, this is more than just about Joseph getting out of his affliction. It's about how God will deliver the world from their affliction by one man, by one servant, by someone like Joseph, like Jesus Christ, right? And so if I could give the Bible's answer in my own personal conviction about what the world needs the most, I would say it's what this passage lays out in front of us. Uh, Simply in two words, it's this, and it won't be a surprise to you, but I think it'll it'll help you to think about it through the lens of the story. The world needs God's grace more than anything else. More than anything we might think it needs, it needs the grace of God, that God would open up heaven and reveal His graciousness to people. That's what He's doing through Joseph, and it is what one day He would do through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, John 3.16 says it best. It's very simple. You've probably memorized it if you're around church your whole life since you were a child. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can hear by how I quote it how long ago it was that I learned it. I learned it in the King James Version when I was a very young boy. Whosoever believeth will live. If you do not believeth, you will not live. But God has provided this great provision. And Joseph is kind of like a picture of the only begotten one who comes. And so let's look together, if you look at your bulletin, uh, this story kind of helps us with three questions tonight. We'll talk about them as we go. First of all, why do the nations need God's grace? Secondly, how can the nations see God's grace? And then lastly, what does God's grace do for the nations once they see it and receive it? Uh, We see all of that here in the story. First of all, uh, why do the nations need God's grace? Look look again in your passage at verses 1 to 8. Uh, In 1 to 8, you have a really great picture of the condition that all the nations of the world are in apart from God. Here you have the most powerful man in the world at the time, Pharaoh. And yet, Pharaoh is coming up against a problem in his life that he cannot solve, not by his own strength, nor by throwing a bunch of money in it, you know, at it, by trying to hire all these magicians and wise men to solve it for him. He can't solve it. Uh, What's Pharaoh's problem? Some scary dreams. And if you really stop to think about it, these two dreams are quite frightening, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're almost grotesque in their imagery. Uh, the, the seven cows uh, meet the seven cows. Uh, seven are fat, seven are thin, seven are beautiful, seven are ugly. The ugly thin ones completely consume the plump cows. But after they eat them, they're no bigger as a result. This is a weird dream, right? You, this is the kind of dream you wake up from and think, man, what did I eat last night? Uh, But then, I mean, Pharaoh woke up and said, what did I eat? But then he went right back to sleep and he had the same dream in a different form. Seven ears of grain, they too were plump and beautiful. The seven after were also thin and ugly. And the thin ones again devoured the plump ones. And so now he woke up in cold sweats. Um, This was a time period in which dreams were seen very superstitiously. Uh, You kind of see that throughout the Bible. In fact, um, Joseph's story, you don't have to look any further than Joseph's story. I mean, how many times has a dream factored in so far? Several times. In fact, his whole life is being shaped by a dream that he had when he was a kid. And uh, he didn't think about it superstitiously, but he did think about it as being driven by God. Those who didn't know God thought about it superstitiously. Uh, Something's out to get me. Uh, the gods are conspiring against me and trying to show me something, tell me something, and i got to figure out what it is. And so this very powerful man who always got his way, and we know that about the pharaohs. Uh, the pharaohs were considered divine by the people of Egypt. They were worshipped. Um, just this past week, I, I saw an article in the news about, speaking of the news, uh, about um, an, an excavation they did last week, a new excavation in Egypt of a, a 4,000 year old tomb. 4,000 years old. So this tomb predates Joseph, predates this story uh, by a little bit, not by much, but by a little bit. Uh, and they, what they found, the pictures are amazing. I encourage you to look it up. I mean, it's still preserved, beautiful paintings in here. And the whole point of those tombs was to send the Pharaoh back to heaven where they thought he came from. And so they buried him with all his riches. They mummified the body so that the body would stay the way that it was. And remarkably, they'll dig up graves that are 4,000 years old and the body's still in the shape of a body. I mean, they can still tell what King Tut looked like. It's amazing, the kind of attention that Pharaoh was shown. And yet even Pharaoh had problems he couldn't solve. Especially when it came to spiritual things, which is what he was dealing with here. A spiritual issue. He knew it was a spiritual issue, which is why he called the magicians and the wise men, which Egypt was also famous for. They were a famous uh, magic Place, a place where their magicians were world-renowned for being able to tell fortunes and you know, give good spells and curses and all those kinds of things. But even they had no answers. This is a picture of the human race. Uh, I love that place in uh, James where it says, isn't this cool? People can train animals. Just about any animal can be trained by a human being. And if you think about it, isn't that true, right? You go to, go to SeaWorld. We can train a killer whale to do all kinds of crazy stuff, to jump and spit on people. And then people pay to be spit on uh, by the killer whale. Isn't that crazy? Many different ways. Uh, James says, how, what an amazing thing. We can train any animal. But here's the thing. We can't train our own tongue. Remarkable. Why can we train Shamu, but not our tongue? Chew on that one. Well he says that out of man's heart, all sorts of evil come forth from tongue. That's not the case.: with the animal kingdom. That's right. Yeah, to train Shamu, you don't have to fix your heart. But to train your tongue, you've got to get in there and fix your own heart. That's, that's hard. That's impossible, right? So it is with all kinds of problems. Man can fix hunger problems. Man can fix uh, financial problems. Man can fix landscaping problems. Man can fix shelter problems. But man cannot fix heart problems. Pharaoh right here has a heart problem. God is clearly trying to tell him something, and he doesn't have any idea what it is, and he won't know until God shows him and pharaoh has to come face to face with that nagging feeling that he's missing something which actually might be one of god's greatest gifts to humanity that feeling have you ever had that feeling have you ever gone on a trip and you have the moment i forgot something but you can't think of what it is and it just nags at you nags at you you think and you think and you finally remember Kevin, you know, (laughs) right? That's a a terrible feeling, isn't it? When you can't figure out what you're missing, but you know you're missing something. And if we're honest, uh, especially I think at night when we're laying awake and we can't sleep, sometimes that feeling becomes even more serious. It's not just I forgot my keys or I forgot to turn off the toaster, but I'm missing something at the heart level. I can't solve my biggest problem. Wow. What a kindness that God would bestow this feeling on Pharaoh. A wicked man by all accounts. And yet God bestowed on Pharaoh this nagging feeling so that he would, by chance, begin to reach out and grasp for the God who made him. We talked about it this morning. Mankind is made in the image of God and in his likeness. Part of that means that the knowledge of him is written on the human heart. And you just can't fully erase it. Right? It's funny. People have a stubborn sense of right and wrong. that you just can't fully get out. You can monkey with it and change it around and, you know, call right wrong and wrong right. You can do all that kind of stuff. And we do it all the time. Our society does it tremendously. And yet still, even when we change right to wrong and wrong to right, we still believe there's a right, and we still believe there's a wrong, and we're pretty mad about it. Don't you notice that? You just can't get it out. And it's that that written in the heart sense that is what wakes us up sometimes at night and reminds us we are tiny in this great big world, and we're tiny against the problems of our lives. And we can train animals, but we can't tame our own tongues. We can't manage our own time. We can't, we can't control our own reactions to people and things. Wow. What a picture of the reason why every nation needs the grace of God. Because that thing that was written on us is a thing that we're consistently trying to suppress, the Bible says. And yet God in His grace is consistently trying to bring us back to a taste of it. So that, by chance, this is Paul's words, that we might feel our way in the dark to the Lord our God. That's the first thing, why the nations need grace. Let's look secondly at how the nations can see grace. So God has primed Pharaoh's pump in verses one to eight. He's given him this feeling of lostness in the midst of a very big spiritual problem. And then God presents Joseph as the solution to Pharaoh's problem. Now, how does Joseph get introduced to Pharaoh? That cupbearer, what a guy. What a guy, right? Uh, Joseph had helped this man um, with his dream back in the prison, if you'll remember. Uh, The baker had, of course, been hanged. But the cupbearer had been lifted back up to his position, and yet for two whole years, that's what it tells us in verse 1, for two whole years the cupbearer didn't remember. He just totally forgot about Joseph until he is presented with the pressure of Pharaoh's problem, and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and, oh yeah, that guy, that Hebrew guy. He didn't even, it doesn't even appear that he knows his name. Which is funny because remember we talked about it last week, I think it was last week, when, he, when Joseph was assigned to be the servant of this man. And he, and he did that job for some time and the guy still doesn't seem to really know his name. He calls him um, that Hebrew servant. Who was a member of the uh, house of the captain of the guard? You know, he doesn't even know who he is, but he remembers that anyway that this man has special abilities. He probably would have thought about it as this man has special powers to interpret dreams. Uh, Can you imagine yourself as Joseph? uh, Verse 14. You've been in jail for years now, and someone from Pharaoh comes in and says, Quick, get up, shave, take a bath. Pharaoh wants to see you. What a day, right? Uh, He's been waiting for this. We talked about last week how how Joseph's story is a lot about waiting on the Lord and waiting in the midst of affliction. And sometimes we have, you know, to wait on God is not just about waiting on the timing, although it is about that. It's also about waiting on the answers that you don't know. You don't know what the answers are. It's It's not always just an issue of timing. Sometimes it's an issue of just having no clue. And yet, knowing God knows what he's doing, but we have no clue, and so we're waiting on God's answers to be revealed. Joseph has been doing that, and suddenly God's answer is revealed in a moment. Get up and shave. Uh, The Egyptians were uh, one of the only ancient peoples at this time to to be clean-shaven. And and so that's probably the reason for that. Uh, Not only did he have a prison beard, but to appear before Pharaoh, Joseph has to look like an Egyptian. And so he shaves completely. They, they actually shave their heads and their faces uh, as Egyptians, which was very odd in the ancient world. It was, it was not common. For, that will, the reason I'm bringing that up is that will play in a few weeks from now because Joseph's brothers do not recognize who he is. And uh, it plays in in Moses' story because when Moses, remember, goes out into the desert, they, they just look at him and say, there's an Egyptian. Even though Moses wasn't an Egyptian, they say he was because he had that look. The Egyptians very much had a different fashion sense than everybody else in the ancient world. Get up and shave and come to Pharaoh. And then Joseph does something wonderful, which reveals to us the way that the nations see the grace of God. Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. Joseph, verse 16, says, no, I can't. Now, what would you say if you just got sprung out of prison, clean-shaven, trembling in front of this very powerful man, and he's like, hey, I heard you could interpret my dream for me, would you say, no, I can't? I don't think. You'd probably be like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, I can, yes, sir. Uh, But he's bold to tell the truth. I can't do it, but what does it say? God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Was Pharaoh a believer in God? Was Pharaoh a good person? Probably not very good. And yet Joseph is sure God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Talk to me. Why is this? What is this? What's the significance of that, do you think? He could have just said, sure, tell me the dream, I'll tell you the interpretation. He could have said, no, I can't do it, but God can. He'll, give, he'll let you know what your dream is. It's a simpler way to say it. But instead he says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, most likely mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, more of a societal I mean just, just look at it they, they probably looked at Joseph as, as, as a slave or a second class citizen or an inferior mm-hmm. that's and right here's Joseph coming in and saying listen to the Hebrew God hmm Yeah. That's right. That's the key, right? He's saying, my God is about to love you. My God is about to love you, Pharaoh. A favorable answer. An answer of grace. Uh, Literally, he's about to tell you some good news. Some gospel. Right now. I'm about to preach the gospel to you, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. You tell me the dream, I'll tell you the gospel. I'll tell you the good news of what God's about to do with instructions for what you should do in response to it, which is exactly what Pharaoh does, what Joseph does. He tells him the interpretation of the dream, what God will do based on the dream, and then he gives him careful instructions of how God wants Pharaoh to respond in, in reaction to that good news. Uh, Joseph is evangelizing Pharaoh, in a sense. He's evangelizing Pharaoh's court, He's bringing God's love for the nations, for the world, to bear on this pagan man. It's an amazing thing. Uh, the, uh, the part that we skipped was the part where um, Pharaoh recounts the dream to Joseph, and then Joseph gives the interpretation. I, the reason I skipped that is I figure you probably have heard of this before. What's the interpretation of the dream? Somebody help us out. That's right. Yep. Yep that the the big cows and the big uh, grain were seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Uh, The seven years of famine were going to completely undo all the work of the seven years of plenty unless, what? Unless you carefully save. And so Joseph uh, pronounces God's good news. God is about to do something. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can see what I mean by this. Uh, Verse 32 is a really powerful verse uh, where he says uh, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. God sent it to you twice just to let you know how sure it is because God fixes things. God is a God who plans and orders the events of this world. And so it's certain God will shortly bring it about. Uh, back up in verse 25, he had said, The dreams of Pharaoh, though too, are one, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Favorable answer, good news, God's about to do something. But you have to do something in response. You're going to have to work to store the gifts of God in the first seven years so that the storage of those first seven years could be used to make up for the lack in the second seven years. Now, it's not Joseph's idea that he was going to be the guy to do it. That was Pharaoh's idea. Joseph's just saying, here's what you need to do to save the lives of the Egyptians, and not only the Egyptians, but the whole world is actually going to be saved. Um, This is to occur so that, verse 36, the land may not perish through the famine. God so loved the world that he sent his son So that those who believe and respond to the favorable answer might not perish but have eternal life. This is a type of that. A type of that. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. God sent his son Joseph because he loved Egypt and he loved the nations and he loved his people. So that whosoever believes in God's message through Pharaoh's dream would not perish in the famine but would live. This is a picture of what the world needs the most. What does the world need most? I'm going to ask you that. How does the world get what it needs most? How does the world see the grace of God? Somebody tell me. Based on this. The testimony of his people. The sharing of the good news. The favorable answer. Um, The world needs many things. You watch the news, you can see it. We need education. Oh, don't we ever. We need relief from poverty. Oh, don't we ever. We need justice where there's injustice. Oh, don't we ever. Some places need a total regime change. Oh, don't they ever, right? We need economic reform. We need medical care. We need all these things. These are wonderful causes to which Christians should devote themselves. But the thing that we should recognize that the world needs the most is the sharing of the word of God which unfolds the grace of God for people so that people would know exactly what they need to do with the the plenty that God is giving us now so that when the day of famine and his judgment comes, they're stored up and ready. This is why, you know, of all the things the church does, and the church does many things in the world, there is one central mission that the church has in the world, and that is to go with the word, go with the gospel. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 28, very famous, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them, telling them the message, showing them what I have commanded so that people might do it, so that people might observe it. Uh, it tells us in Romans 10, people can't believe unless they hear. They can't hear unless someone is sent to preach, Right? So we need preachers. We always need more ministers of the word to be raised up in the church so that God would send them out to his people and to those outside to share the good news so that more people might believe. Uh, Paul even says in Ephesians 4 that once you become a Christian, you still need to hear the gospel. Uh, The gospel is not just the ABCs to get you into the Christian life. It's the A through Z. It's what you need every day. Uh, We spoke about this this morning. You need to know all of the Scriptures as best you can. Now, I know you're not going to master it, and I'm not going to master it either because we don't have enough time on this earth, but our goal should be to try, to be to apply ourselves as much as we can to knowing what it is God has said so that we can respond obediently, faithfully, boldly, even as we see Joseph doing. Don't discount the opportunities you have to bear testimony. Sometimes we do, especially when we're looking across across the table or across the room at someone who's a particularly hardened person. And all of us have those people in our lives, right, those family members or friends that we think, I don't think they're going to make it. They're probably never going to believe this message. I don't know that they can ever be changed. And something I say, is that going to really work? And yet I encourage you, read this story again. Uh, God took a prisoner named Joseph freshly shaved for the first time in his life (laughs) stood him in front of Pharaoh and all he said was no I can't but God can and through that boldness of of Joseph he saved Egypt and Joseph's brothers and the nations because through this event of course Jesus Christ is born into the world and here we are here we sit Just because Joseph was bold enough to say, I can't do it, but God can and God will, here's the gospel. Let me share it with you. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you who God has shown himself to be in my life. The light of the world, the word of God, the way that the nations see the grace of God. Now, lastly, tonight, I want to hurry us on to those last verses because we get in Joseph's uh, life, as it plays out here, a picture of what God's grace does for the nations once they hear about it and once they believe. Um, my wife uh, often you know, talks to me, and I, I talk to her often about the birth of our four kids. This was a, th- those were very special times in our lives, um, each of those birth experiences. Now, now, they were very different for me than they were for her. Those experiences, right? And I fully recognize that. Um, You know, I felt under stress, but I know it was nothing compared to what she felt. And uh, I often ask her about that. You know, what was that like for her? And, you know, uh, and she always enjoyed it, the whole process. But one thing she consistently said was, it's amazing how much you can hurt. And then all of a sudden, when you have that baby at your chest, you don't even remember that you hurt. Now, that may not have been your experience. I don't know. I mean, maybe you still hurt. That's fine, too. but, uh, But for Stacey, anyway, that's the way she experienced it. All that hurt was almost evaporated by the experience of the fruit of that labor. And something very similar to that is at play in the kingdom of God. When God announces his good news to somebody, and that person hears it, takes it to heart, believes it, embraces it, begins to live in light of it, God causes all the affliction that preceded that good news to almost be forgotten in comparison to the wondrous joy that he has now bestowed on them through his grace in Jesus. Let me show you uh, how that looks in Joseph's life. Uh, Joseph interpreted uh, Pharaoh's dreams, of course, and in verse 37 it begins to tell us how jo- how Joseph was lifted up to the highest place in Egypt. Um, I love, by the way, just as a side note, what it says in verse 38, even Pharaoh said, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? You know, Pharaoh sees it, Pharaoh understands what's going on here, at least to some degree, and so he lifts Joseph up to this very senior position. He gives him his signet ring, verse 42. Uh, he tells everybody to bow down before him. Uh, verse, uh, where is that, 43, bow the knee. Uh, by the way, do you hear a hint of something Joseph had dreamed earlier on in that? This is what Joseph as a teenager dreamed would happen, that, that his brothers and the whole world would come and bow before him, and that was starting to happen. And yet, I want you to notice something in particular. Verse 50 Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. He called the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget. Manasseh sounds like the word for forget. God made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. Ephraim sounds like the word for fruit or fruitful. Because God has made me fruitful even in the land of my affliction. Now, these two sons of Joseph are important because they actually get a place among the twelve tribes of Israel, even though they're actually grandsons of Israel, they actually get a place along with Judah and Dan and Asher and all the rest, that's another thing. But they're also clearly significant because of the meaning of their names and what it is that Joseph himself is experiencing as God takes him from the lowest of depths in the prison and raises him to the highest of heights. He has experienced a forgetting and a new fruitfulness. Again, a foreshadowing of the gospel. A foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Um, Hebrews tells us that Jesus on the cross endured by what? What caused Jesus to endure the shame of the cross? The joy set before him. It was as if Jesus forgot the pain in light of the joy that came because of the pain. Again, Joseph is kind of like a type of Christ in this way. But also, Joseph here is a type of Christians. He is a foreshadowing of what every Christian experiences. When a Christian becomes united to Christ... Uh, Jesus' birth, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' death, Jesus' obedient life, Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, his reigning over the world right now, all that begins to benefit the Christian. The Christian gets attached to Jesus such that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to him or her. Well, that infusion of riches into the Christian's life is very similar to being taken from the jail to the throne. In fact, the Bible describes it that way. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? We were dead. We were slaves. It uses the lowest of low language. And then it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. At the right hand, not of Pharaoh, but of God. That kind of infusion of riches has the same effect in our life. There is a forgetting that is able to take place a godly kind of forgetting, not a forgetting because I don't want to think about it, but a forgetting because the new that has come in to displace it is so much greater than the old. There is that kind of forgetting that takes place, followed by a whole new potential for fruitfulness, even while we continue to live in a land and a life of affliction. I love the way it says it there. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's not that Joseph from this point on had no more affliction. It's not that he never felt sad. It's not that he never cried. We're going to see him in a few weeks weeping with heartbreak. And yet in the midst of that, God made him fruitful and God made him even forget. All the pain that he had endured, all the hardship of being thrown into the pit by his brothers, being falsely accused in Potiphar's house, being in jail, becoming the servant of the cupbearer and the baker, and then being forgotten by the cupbearer. Almost as if it had evaporated. Because now I have something that far outshines and far outweighs it all the gospel. A blessed forgetfulness and a blessed fruitfulness. Now let me clarify here. I'm not saying that it's really possible to truly forget your past. I don't advise you to try. It's not possible, I don't think. To fully forget the things you've done that are wrong, that haunt you, or the things that have been done to you that haunt you. It's not possible to fully forget. But what this is saying, and, and Joseph didn't forget either. I mean, let, let's don't make any mistake about it. If he had forgotten, whenever excuse me, whenever um, <clears throat> whenever his brothers showed up, if he had truly forgotten, he would not have had such a reaction that he did when he saw them. I mean, when he sees his brothers, my man Joseph, strong man, becomes a heap of tears. He just collapses. He has to leave the room. It, he didn't forget in a literal sense, but he forgot in the sense that God's kindness to him had so overshadowed the junk that people had thrown his way that it was as if it didn't even count anymore. It didn't define him anymore. It wasn't the banner over his life anymore. It wasn't, hey, there goes Joseph, the guy that his brothers hate, or there goes Joseph, the falsely accused rapist. Or there goes Joseph, the guy, the cupbearer, doesn't even know his name. He's just that young Hebrew servant, the do-boy, right? No, here is Joseph, the son of the Most High God. The one who's such a friend of God that God shares his secrets with Joseph. That's what defined him. And the same thing is true of you in Christ. There is nothing in your past, it doesn't matter how deep the sin, it doesn't matter how painful the thing done against you, there's nothing in 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 your past that can go on and define you forever. It is dead with Jesus, buried in the tomb, left in the prison. What you have received is the record of fruitfulness that Jesus Christ himself embodies. Welcome back, kids. That fruitfulness of Jesus becomes your fruitfulness. It's counted as if it were yours and it becomes yours. It becomes alive within you so that just like Joseph, he becomes very useful. He becomes helpful. And you and I too can become people who are very helpful, useful in the lives of other people, no matter what our past is. You know, I've seen Jesus Christ turn around people I never thought he could turn around. Have you? Mm Mm-hmm. I've seen it. And and I've seen Jesus change people that I even thought. There ain't no way. And yet he did it. That's just how much of a wonder-working Savior he is. Manasseh. Ephraim. Forgotten. Fruitful. Amen.